Motion Sunday, y'all. We're glad you're here. My name is John Almquist. I serve as pastor of the Springs here, and welcome. We're glad you're here. If this is your first time coming to us, or you've been coming, as they referenced earlier, man, for years. If this is you coming back because you think through, maybe you're starting a whole new semester, right? Or perhaps you got connected to parents and they said, hey, would you be willing to come, try it out, check it out? Whether you are new in your faith, whether you're working through faith in general, or hey, this is one of those where you've been looking forward to it, anticipation. We're glad you're here. One of the things I want to do, though, is before we jump into our series right now, our series we're in here is called Goals. We're working our way through the book of 1 Thessalonians. We're calling it Goals because this church in Thessalonica, we're going to come to learn about, they were a church worth celebrating. They were in church that was an encouragement. But before we jump into them as an encouragement, I want to talk about a moment of mine that was a complete leadership fail. Complete leadership fail. Let me set it up. Right? So track back years. There I am. I grew up in North Georgia. I grew up in what we probably call, what, what I would call, a church attending home. I, I would have called myself a Christian, but about the age of 18, I was done with it. I made a conscious decision of Jesus. I want nothing else to do with you. I went to university there. I went to college in Atlanta. I got connected. And all of a sudden, this entire life, this fun scene that I thought I'd missed out all through high school, I was like, I'm going to get mine now. Left behind that whole Christian identity. Part of that for me was your first semester on campus, you weren't allowed to rush a fraternity. I wanted to rush a fraternity, right? I can remember finding one. It's my second semester. I got connected to one. Nice guys, but these guys took life in an unhealthy way, right? In an unhealthy way to a whole nother level. And I can remember thinking, okay, well, that's what I want to do. The way that I was before, the goody-two-shoes Christian version of me, I don't want that guy anymore. Right? I want to go, what I missed out on, I'm going to go get. So I go, I join this. This fraternity, wonderful guys, kind of, great people, all that stuff, tremendously dysfunctional. Right? I, years later, I'd come to know Jesus Christ. He changed my life. I look back then, leadership failed. Here's what I mean. I join, I'm a freshman, I rush, I pledge. I go through all that stuff. I get connected. Sophomore year comes around. They have this big fraternity house on campus. Massive one. I move into it. Man, I'm so excited. All the brokenness and sinfulness that can come with that. Drinking deep from a cistern with cracks in it. The way Proverbs would talk about it. Right? But here's what happened. We just kept getting into trouble. Here's what I mean. Police were being called. Other fraternities were saying things. Sororities were saying things. Just terrible stuff. To where the dean of admissions or dean of Greek life, whoever it was, came in with our national chapter. They knew that there were bad apples in the fraternity. They kicked out at the very start of my sophomore year. Every upperclassman. So there were three floors to this building. Sophomore, junior, seniors. All of a sudden you have a vacant second and third floor. And all you're left with is one pledge class of sophomores. All our friends were gone. The reason we joined were gone. The people we wanted to be like in brokenness, they were gone. And all of a sudden, you're left with a bunch of sophomores trying to pick up the rubble. They look around the room. Because of they sensed in me uh, this component of leadership, and remember, this ends in a fail, right? All of a sudden, we look around the room. I end up in this chapter meeting in this room upstairs with this secret handshake that was just ridiculous, <laughs> right? Just ridiculous. And there's this vote. And all of a sudden, I become the youngest president in the history of the Gamma chapter of the Chi Phi fraternity. Yeah, yeah, no, you should, yeah, thank you guys. Yeah, it's gonna end bad, right? 
But all of a sudden, we become that. And then there I am. I step in this leadership role. I, I don't know what to do. I, I can kind of intuitively figure it out. But I want to go, and I want to continue having all this fun. But we keep getting in trouble. Right? And there's so many ways I could take this story. But the way for today. Right? The way for today. We continue on, and there's a decision moment. Now, all leaders know you got to make tough decisions. Every, every leader gets that. Right? But I can remember coming to, we had a chapter meeting. Because again, we just lost everybody, so we got to add new people, so we need a new pledge class. So we got set up with pledges. We have this reputation on campuses, like, man, these guys go hard in all the wrong ways. I become a Christian later. I'm not condoning sin. But these pledges come in. And I can remember we had this chapter meeting where we're going to talk about, how are we going to take them through pledge class? Are we going to haze them the way we got hazed? Right? Yeah, somebody said, yeah, of course. Why would you not? Right? No, here's what ends up happening. We get in this room, and all of a sudden, we start talking about it. And here's this view. There was this off-campus thing. We we're going to make people eat a bunch of stuff, drink a bunch of stuff. Just ridiculous. Right? Ridiculous. Stupid, foolish, unsafe. Right? And there was this moment where there was this big conversation with a group where I'm saying, if we do that, we're going to get caught. If we do that, we're getting kicked off. And I can remember the whole group had this mentality. Well, I had to do it. They should have to do it, which is just a terrible argument. Terrible argument. But I'm sitting there. I'm like, yeah, that's convincing. I get that. Mm -hmm. Right? So me as a leader, I'm sitting there. We're in this chapter setting. Chi Phi Fraternity House. Youngest president. And I looked at him. I said, okay. This is our fraternity. That's the direction y'all want to go. I think it's going to take us off a cliff. But man, let's go. Well, you get what happens, right? We throw that party. All of a sudden, the dean of Greek life finds out. He comes and he individually interviews every one of our pledges. We were like coaching these pledges right before. We're prepping them. No, here's what we did. Say this. Don't say this. There was one young guy. Bless him, man. If I ever see him, I'll ask his forgiveness. Homeboy cracked, right? He told the whole story. All of a sudden, two days later, I'm in an auditorium. And our fraternities kicked off campus. Youngest president. Shortest tenure <laughs> as a president. Welcome to the Springs. We're so glad you're here. Right? Here's why I share that. That was a leadership fail. There is in me a sense of regret for that decision. I, I regret that choice because part of me is, man, one, I miss it as the leader. Does that mean that God didn't redeem that? No. Does that mean God didn't use that on a pathway to eventually bring me to him? Not it all, but there's an honest sense of, man, I wish I could get a redo on that. Here's the reason I share that. I think your stories are different than mine. That's, that's like a silly, small example of regret. But if your life is like mine, there's things that were minor regrets, and then there's things that were major regrets. Major moment where it is far more important than a fraternity. But moments where you say, hey, I wish I could get a redo. The reason I start with that is today, is we look at this text. The Apostle Paul, this big time church leader, he's going to teach you, and he's going to teach me. How do you live a life without regret? Right, and when I, when I say regret, here's, here's what I'm talking about. Not that, even as Christians, because Christians are broken, we make terrible decisions. We still sin, we have to walk in repentance, continual change. But one of the things Paul's talking about, it's not that every decision you'll never again wish for. Man, if I could get a redo on that. He, he's not saying here that God can't bring about good 
even from our brokenness and pain. It's not it. But it's the idea, hey, as you assess not every decision, but the overall direction. Here's how you and here's how I live a life without regret. Live a life where we don't, at the end of it, say, man, I look back much more failure than faithfulness. So that's where we're going. And here's why I really do think this matters, man. Even as I've been thinking about this past week, I did a little study. So there's a research group out of Cornell, right? They did a study where they examined regret. And here's what I came to see through this. There's generally, there's two types of regret. There's regret where you and I, we make a decision. We choose something. It's a decision-based. It's a choice. And then there's regret where we say, I wonder if I should have made a different decision. Think about it this way. One type of regret is, I wish I hadn't. The other type of regret, I wonder if I had. One we choose, the other we let go by. Here's what shocked me. They said that people carry, you call it guilt, shame. They use the word psyche, emotional psyche, right? There, there was this idea of the folks who choose things, the folks who choose say things like, yeah, guys, let's lead the fraternity off the cliff. I'll lead the way, right? That type of regret, you can move back or you can move past almost what they call close to two weeks. You can tend to forget about it. They can lose the emotional weight in your life. But the moments in your life where you say, I wonder if, what if I had, I should have that type of regret. They say that's the things that linger with people for years. Right, so here, especially if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, there's a type of regret they should have. I wonder if I had type of regret that Jesus Christ completely wants to spare you from. That the Apostle Paul, he's going to teach you and he's going to teach me today. Here's how to never live that. Here's how to not live in vain. Right? And then if you're here and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, you're just wrestling through this. Here's what I want to tell you. Here's what you'll believe, right, that you'll expect me to say. It, I, I really do believe that at the end of your life and you will have one life, there will come a sense where you will stand before God. And there will be a tremendous sense of regret, a huge, I should have believed. So my prayer is not only if you're here working through faith, that that's something that God just spares you from. But secondly, as you look at this, here's, here's the other type. Don't have the type of regret where you don't at least lean in to examine it. Don't have the type of regret where you say, you know what? I'm going to wait till my 40s to take religion seriously. Don't, don't have that one either. Lean in today. The text we're going to be looking at, it's uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going we're to check out just the first six verses, and we're going to pick it up again next week. We're going to break it out into three ideas. The first idea we're going to talk about, our mission, our mission as Christians is leading others to Christ. The second thing we're going to share is our motive. Our motive is identifying ourselves with Christ. And the third idea, our method is loving others for Christ. Again, we'll be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. If you were with us last week, here's what you know. 
The Apostle Paul, the chapter right before the context, he's writing this letter where he's celebrating and he's encouraging the church in Thessalonica. Thessalonica, it would be in modern-day Greece, like the northeast section of it. That's where you could find it. He'd gone. He'd planted a church there. About a year went by, and he heard this report of how faithful the church was doing. And he lists out all these tremendously encouraging things. That's why we're calling the series Goals. Because we as a body, as we have a heart to, who would Christ have us be as a church? Those are some of our goals. That's the bullseye. That's the target we're running after. But he's going to switch themes today. Today he's going to switch to not just encouraging them for what they're faithfully doing, but he's going to remind them of why he went and founded and planted the church in the first place. Here's what I think this matters for us. He's just going to talk about why he did what he did. Why he ministered. Now, Paul, you could say, hey, he was an apostle. so a big-time church leader. He would have had a role probably like mine or even over that. Right? But here's what you got to know. The people who planted this church, who founded this church, wasn't me. It was ten families. Ten couples who had a love for Jesus Christ just said, hey, what if? What if we could be, what if by God's spirit we could strive towards being marked as a body like that? But here's why I share that. Man, no, we can do this. Because of Christ in us, we can live this without regret. So read with me now. We're going to read the first two verses. Two verses there, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. For you yourselves know, brothers, that are coming to you, it was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. We're going to stop there. The first idea out of this text that I want to pull out for us, the first theme that is Paul, he's talking about his heart and why he planted this. It's just something we got to know as Christians. Our mission is leading others to Christ. Our mission is leading others to Christ. Here, I want to pull out a few ideas from the text and then, and then give you a theme here. Right? He, he talks about, for you know, right there in verse 1. And then he says, not in vain. Not in vain, that's that idea of regret. Like Paul's planting of that church in Thessalonica, he didn't view it as a failure. He didn't view it as without results. And that's what right here, he's writing to a group of friends where he says, hey, you know this is true. You know it wasn't in vain. Why? Because Paul, likely in his mind as he sat down, he's remembering, hey, I remember when you trusted Christ at the synagogue. I can remember going to your house after where I sat down and I pleaded with you on behalf of God to believe in the Messiah. It changed the husband. It changed the wife. It changed the family. I saw you change. Before you know, he's saying, hey, guys. You know it wasn't a waste of time. You know I don't regret it. Why? God got you. He even, he even goes on to almost stack the deck against himself. He says, even though we had already suffered. We talked about this a few weeks ago. You can write it in the margin in your Bible if you want to remember it up here. He's referencing Acts 16. Before the Apostle Paul, he ever even got to Thessalonica, he was in a town called Philippi. He was hanging out in Philippi. Here's what happened to him. He starts talking about Jesus because his mission is leading others to Christ. He's living out the mission. And what they do? They beat him. What they do then? 
They threw him in prison. God miraculously delivers him from prison. So Paul's saying it wasn't in vain, even though the town I came from before I got to yours, they tried to literally beat me to the point of where I would stop. Just, just imagine that. So again, Paul, he'd gone to this town. What, what people think is probably three to four days before he was in Philippi. The night before, they beat him. Then they put him in prison. Now God, he miraculously delivered him from prison. And he takes what would have been about a hundred mile walk. The Apostle Paul had a hundred miles to resolve himself to when he got to the gates of Thessalonica. Say, Lord, you've sent me on a mission and the mission is leading others to you. The town I just came from, hey man, that beating hurt. I felt that. Hey, the moment in prison, I sang to you, but I sang because if I didn't sing, I might despair. Hey, God, I'm going in. I'm going to the synagogue. I'm going to go tell them about you. Help me. He'd suffered, yet it wasn't in vain. Why? His mission is leading others to Christ. And the final thing there he says, just from the sense, he had boldness to do it. Church. I get going about engaging with others, even the thought of, wait, my, my, my view, my hope in leading others to Christ that makes it almost feel like there's this pressure, there can be an awkwardness, there can be a nervousness. Can't I just be really, really kind? Yes. And you must know you are a missionary. Wherever you are, anywhere you work, Wherever you take your kids, if you're going to college, if you're a student, New Braunfels High School, Canyon High School, homeschool, I don't care. You're a missionary. And he sent you. I can remember uh, right after, right around the time I became a Christian, I was living in Dallas, and I was working for a consulting firm. So I had a, a project with a company in Dallas, downtown. I can remember this newness had come into my life, the idea that God loved me was changing me. I can remember leaving work one day, jumping in my truck, and I had to drive out and merge into this lane. And as I was merging, I saw on the left side, there was a man sitting on the corner, homeless gentleman. And I can remember thinking two things. One, I don't know anyone here. I've been in Dallas about three to four months. Still hadn't really connected, made any friends. And two, that guy needs to know what I came to know. With heart beating out of my chest, I pull up to the corner and I just say, hey man, I got 20 bucks. I'll buy you groceries. I'm not going to buy you cigarettes and I'm not going to buy you booze. If you want to come, you can come. By the grace of God, that man got in my truck. Right, so here's what happened. We drive to this Walmart right there. We walk aisle to aisle, heart beating out of my chest. So nervous, so terrified. Not bold. But I can remember, by the grace of God, because I didn't know how to share my faith. I didn't know how to tell somebody about Jesus Christ. I didn't know how to do any of that. And just saying, hey, God's changing me. And there's a place I know where people talk about it. Do you want to come? Because I went to church by myself. I go eat lunch by myself. Would you want to come with me, man? He ends up that next Sunday coming, jumping in with me in my truck, went to church with me. He came a few times. His name's Clyde Moses. Shortly thereafter, he became a Christian. 
he had been living on the streets 23 years, but his mindset, he, he, he was a clear thinker. He became a Christian and changed his life. And he would go with a boldness that I didn't have with him. He grasped from the beginning. His mission was leading others to Christ. He lived in a tent, and he'd go tell his buddies in the tent. He hung out near a shelter. He'd go tell his buddies in the shelter. He would tell everybody. Why? Because he found love for the first time in a real way. And he understood our mission. Our mission is leading others to Christ. We do it in love. And then we tell them about it. That's the first idea from this text. Let's look now at the next two verses. Let's look now at the next two verses. Just that. All right, I'm going to pick it up in verse 3. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. There's a, there's a phrase in here that I'm going to pull out for our second idea. It's the theme. We've been approved and entrusted by God. The second idea out of this is we go about our mission. Here's what you and I, here's what we must know. Our motive, the reason we do it, our motive is identifying ourselves with Christ. Identifying ourselves with Christ. If that, if that doesn't make sense, stay with me for a second. There's two words we're going to pull out. Approved and entrusted. Approved. This word, it's the ideal where God looks at you if you're following Jesus Christ and he comes and there's this heart of examination but he sees they're proven. They're true. They're right. The Apostle Paul, he'd been approved for it. Despite all the brokenness in my life, Despite every decision that didn't just bring minor regret, but major regret. Despite all the future ones where I still try to yield my life to Christ and I screw it up. God looks at me and he says, approved. Approved, that's this idea of identity. That's one of the motives, identity. That because of my love for Jesus Christ, not because I have to work my way to him as a slave, but because all you got to do is believe in him, and it makes me a son. That because of that, I'm no longer lost. I am found. I'm no longer enemy. I am son. I'm no longer impoverished. I am rich. I'm an heir. I'm no longer in sin. I am forgiven. I'm no longer against him. I'm his child. He doesn't just say he loves me. He calls me beloved. Dearly loved one. It's the idea of God, even if you've grown up in church, sometimes it's so hard for people to wrestle. An identity is the theme of God just doesn't love you. He likes you. He wants to hang out with you. That changed Paul. The one who was once the killer of Christians believed in the King of Christ. And because of that, he stood approved. That was one of his motives. And that, that one, you've got to understand the order of these as well. Identity. And then it preceded the word entrusted with the gospel. Entrusted, so you guys know what that word means. It's just when I give something to you and I place it in your care. It doesn't mean you're ultimately responsible for it, but you are responsible with it. Entrusted, it's the idea of there's a responsibility. And that, that word makes people nervous, so stay with me. 
but it's true. There's a responsibility, Christian, right? To know the motive of Christ has come for me to set me free. And out of a heart, not to earn something, not to work for something, not because if I don't, God's mad at me and he'll punish me. No. But because the good news of Jesus Christ really is the greatest news ever told, I have a responsibility to share that. I can't take this and keep it to myself. That's a way to live with regret. Paul, he didn't have that. That responsibility must mark us. It's a motive. So the moments when, and this happens to me all the time, people somehow think that just because of my job, wherever I go, I just can't wait to tell somebody about Jesus, the server, the person at HEB, the guy you run into on the street. That's just not true. I absolutely go home tired. I don't want to fight to love my wife well. I don't want to get her on the ground and play with my daughter. I want to stop and rest. And man, there can be goodness in that. But there's a healthy motive for me knowing he's made me a son. Therefore, help me to live as a saint. A responsibility. So again, I just referenced my daughter. Her name's Lula. She's 18 months old. So as you can imagine, she's our one kiddo. As you can imagine, parenting is a, is a topic we talk about a ton at home. I talk about it with friends. I ask them about it. This past week, just thinking through it, I stumbled on a TED Talk. Anybody ever seen TED Talks? Y'all know what I'm talking about? If you don't know what it is, it's typically a research-based expert talking on a particular topic. They last 15 minutes. You can get lost on YouTube for hours watching this, right? Okay, well, I got lost on YouTube watching one of these. Well, here's what it was called. It was called How to Raise an Adult. Immediately piqued my interest. The person who did it, and some of you may have seen it, right? The person who did it, she's the dean uh, of freshmen at Stanford, She ends up, she writes a book out of it. Why? Because she's seen thousands of freshmen come through. And what the burden was placed on her heart is, hey, these kids might have grades and classes and GPAs and honors clubs, but none of them are ready to be an adult. Maybe that's too strong a statement. But because of that, she goes and she sets this up and she appeals to parents on, hey, we got to change the way we raise an adult. We got to change the way we view it. And she breaks it down in two ways. And she has a source. Her source is the Harvard Grant study. I'd never heard of it. It's the longest running research study in American history. Still going on today. Where they broke it down of what takes, what creates successful, professional adults. Think well-adjusted adults. And the first thing, and if if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you totally knew this is where it was going. You didn't even need the research for any of it. She says, love you want to raise an adult, you got to love your kid. And she even, she even went so far as to say, and that love has to be unconditional. Like church, do our kids know we love them just as much, we're just as proud. When they get it right is when they fail. Right? Unconditional love. And then she took this twist and the whole crowd, like everybody noticed it and I know she said, hey, here's the second thing the research shows. The way to raise an adult, it's love. And it is Chores chores. Now, here's why. Because chores instill a sense of responsibility. They make you part of a bigger mission with a family. You begin to view yourself as not just the only one, but one of many on a goal. Where do you think that idea came from, y'all? 
how do you raise, how do we develop to be faithful followers of Jesus Christ, identifying with him? He loves us unconditionally. He's crazy about you. He loves me far more than I really understand. And in that, he loves me so much, he doesn't just let me sit on it. He, he calls me to something. He gives me responsibility. So church, our motive is identifying ourselves with Christ. That's how we live, not in vain. Let's keep going. Let's look at verses, uh, actually, I'm going to start again in verse 3, because there's a theme here. For our appeal does not spring from error, remember that, error, or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we see glory from people, whether from you or from others. No, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. Third idea out of this text. Third idea. We, church, church, our method for advancing this, our method is loving others for Christ. Loving others for Christ. Now, love, it's a really broad and generic term, and you'll see why I chose it. Because it's hard to pick that word. And the reason I picked it, it's more all-encompassing, so stay with me. There's two things that Paul, he, he puts here as he talks about love. He has his content and then his intent, his intentions, his content. He, he talks about right here, it did not come, verse 3, from error. Church, one of the things you got to know, the word of God, this it's true. You can trust this. One, you can come and you can meet with God in a way where he's not going to deceive you through it. He's going to help you fall in love with him by it. But it's true. That's the content. L later on in this chapter, the Apostle Paul, he's actually going to spend a whole paragraph, a couple sentences, right? Right? A whole paragraph talking about it. So stay tuned for that. But here's what you got to know. You can trust the content. And this is Paul. The next thing he shifts to is the intent. The intent. Some of the things he outlines. It, it wasn't an attempt to deceive. It wasn't because they were trying to please people, but they wanted to please God. It wasn't with words of flattery. It wasn't for greed. He's not seeking glory from anybody. His intentions were pure. The Apostle Paul during this time, a lot of folks would go around talking about religion much the same way they can now and they have throughout history. How do I go and I use a reference of God to somehow fill my wallet? How can I use God to somehow glorify me, make much of me? And so there were these, what I'd call charlatans, tricksters, thieves. And the Apostle Paul, he's drawing this contrast where he's saying, no, no, I'm not them. My content was true. That's not. And my intentions were pure. And there's this theme as he talks about, man, I wasn't here for greed. I wasn't here to impress you. He came, why? Not for anyone's approval. Not that anyone would build him up. Because he had already been approved by God. 
right? So this is where he's building on the identity from the point before. He's talking about what sets you free to really love a community? What sets you free to actually get after it in your workplace? To actually do your doctor's office, wherever you are, is the privilege and the opportunity to? How do I minister to patients, not just physically, but spiritually? You as a teacher, to not just equip, train students in math, algebra, literature, whatever, but say, hey, how can I introduce to them the love of Jesus Christ? How do you as parents, how do you set your kids up for success in a way to where you do not live vicariously through them, but you support them? And you celebrate them for who they are. You know, first and foremost, your approval is in God. It was about a year ago that I stepped into this role. I took this job. And I can remember when I came, there's this two months, this fun, running off of adrenaline honeymoon thing. And then I start really hanging out with a ton of y'all. Right? Yeah, that was funny, guys. I made fun of you. Right? Um, but hey, I spent time hanging out. But I can remember maybe then if I started September... I don't know, October, November, something like that. I started going to some of these meetings, and these were good meetings, but sometimes they were harder meetings. I can remember going, and all of a sudden, I was nervous. Like, I can always have a tendency to be nervous or on edge or ready, and that, that can be good. But I can remember sitting there and being like, man, I'm nervous for this. And this is something I still track. And so I started thinking through, why is that? Why is that? And I can remember why, because it's like a new job, just the same way if you started a new job. If you're dating somebody new, right? I can remember going and thinking, man, I really hope that they're glad I'm here. I really hope that they're enjoying what we're doing on Sunday. I, I really hope that they see in me this leadership capacity of, okay, we can keep going. I was going to these meetings and this nervousness where it was coming from. I wanted people to affirm me. I wanted people to validate me. I wanted people to say, I'm glad you're here. Here's what I'm telling you. I'm not the only one. You seek it from your spouse, right? You'll seek it from your kids. You definitely seek it from work. You'll seek it from what charity organization? Where does it put me forward? How do people view me? How do I feel better about me, is your day destroyed based on what your wife thinks of you? Or are there certain people in your life to where you know, man, if they say this, I'll crumble. But then you wrestle with the same thing I do. Seeking glory, seeking approval from other people. And man, this is the secret, right? From faith in Christ, this is a secret to life. You want to be free? You want to really be free, you know. There's no one who loves you more than the king of the universe. There's no one who can approve you like he already has. And from that, you're free to love others for Christ. Because here's what I realized. I was going to this meeting, right? In my job description, in a lot of ways, you, you can nuance it, but summarize it. It's to love. I was going to these meetings, and here's what I was looking for. Hey, could you make me feel this? Could you help me feel this? Could I walk away feeling more validated? I wasn't loving. I was using. Meetings, interactions, and moments. Using people. And when you do that, you know what you don't do well? Love them. Church, the way we minister 
The way we live on mission is not seeking to get. It's not so when we go to share, the person views us as spiritual and thoughtful. It's because we know the king of the universe calls me beloved. And one day I'm going to see him. And he even says in his word that one of the things that God, like God, he gets an inheritance. And what does God, who gets to choose his own inheritance, what does God want? Me. Man, when I remind myself of that, you know what it frees me from? Wanting something from others. Our method is to love others for Christ. To recap in all these thoughts, our mission, church, it's leading others to Christ. Our motive, it's identifying with Christ. It's reminding ourselves, man, I'm fully approved. My identity is new. I'm a new creation. And from that, like a good father, he's entrusted me a good message. And the final one, our method, how do we do it? We love folks. We love in a way to where we're not really subliminally trying to get. And if you spend 20 minutes with a pen and paper praying through how you seek approval from people, when you should be getting it through God, here's what's going to happen. You're going to have a long list. The church, as we grasp identity in him, it frees us to love them, to love each other, to love this town in a way to where it's beautiful. It's beautiful. So as you think through this text, there was this theme that stood out to me throughout it. Because again, you got to remember the Apostle Paul, and it's continued for next week too. But he says, I came to you and I knew it was not in vain. Church, a life lived for Christ is never a life wasted. A life lived for Christ is never a life wasted. We don't think about it this way, honestly, until, man, uh, people reflect on legacy right as they're coming closer towards death. Right, so a life lived for Christ, it's never a life wasted in the same way. I had the privilege of going to a funeral a few years ago. And I say privilege just because of the character of the man who the funeral was for. I didn't know him. I was really good friends with his buddy, or excuse me, his son. He was a buddy of mine. We'd served together. We'd gotten to know each other. His son was really successful. He had done really well. His dad had been really successful. He had done really well. I didn't know anything about his dad. But I knew the son, and so I went to support the son. And I can remember sitting there and walking into an auditorium far bigger than this, man, and being shocked and how many people were there. And they go to do this funeral where they begin to talk about this man and the life that he had lived. And oh my gosh, they're celebrating him away. Why? Not because of his uh, corporate successes. And he had done well. Well, because of the character of his heart, because of the faith that had changed him, because he had, he'd gone all in on Christ and by that not wasted it. And then I'll never forget this. My buddy, his son went up to talk about him. And he goes up and he's standing there in front of this huge crowd. And he, rightly so, with tears, begins to brag on his dad. 
his dad, the legacy that he left, and the model for him, and really just talking about how his dad had entrusted to him the truth. There's nothing more important in this life than a relationship with God. And this son, he got to stand there at his dad's funeral and say, I still want to be like him when I grow up. I still want to live a life like that. I don't want to waste it. I want to go all in. Why? Because that funeral preached. Church, a life lived for Christ. It's never a life wasted. Can you imagine my buddy, his dad, he comes and he gets to heaven and he's hanging out there. There was never a moment where he regretted waking up to the early alarm to get there before the kids were ready to had to get him set to sit down with his Bible and they told stories of his Bible times. To sit there and to meet with God and to plead with him, would you make me faithful? Would you help me to lead my family, to love my kids, to serve my community, to go to work and tell them about you? He never regretted it. There was never the moment where he regretted, hey, remember that time where I felt that tug to go engage with them, to share with them, to encourage them? And I went. He never regretted that moment. He never regretted the moment where he made space in his life to be interrupted. Why? Also that when either God's people or not God's people were hurting, he could go love, serve, care for them. He didn't regret any of that. Church, there's a way we can go through life without those deep regrets. Not that every decision will be perfect, but the moments that matter will be the moments marked by faith. I'm going to go ahead and invite the band up. We're going to sing one more song. As we go to sing this song, here's what I want you guys reflecting on. Here's what I want you to be thinking about. Father, help me not to waste it. Help me not to just view this as some abstract view, but help me to take one area of my life and the next month, I'm going to yield it in the way I always hoped I would. Not because I'm supposed to, but because you love me and that love changes me. So pray with me and let's sing one more song. Father, I'm asking for your help to do that. I'm asking for your help to come into my life in a way to where I know that my mission is to tell people about you. And that's not just mine because of this job. But God, long before I had it, I was yours. And if it's ever changed, I'm there, there again. And would that be true of the people here? Would you remind us of your love? Would you remind us of how, because of what you've done in our life, we stand approved. And from approval, you trust us so much that we're entrusted. God, may I use that in my life. May I live in a way because of you where it's not in vain. May this church be faithful in a way to where it is not in vain.